Hello, and welcome to a chapter reading of Splintered State by J. Robert Kinney. Chapter 1. Franklin Holt gathered his things from the corner booth where he'd spread out in The Last Drop, a quaint cafe and coffee shop. It was his favorite escape from the hustle and bustle of the city. He double-clicked the icon to power off his laptop, then shuffled his papers and notebooks into a leather shoulder bag, the one luxury he allowed himself. As he waited for the old machine to power off, he allowed his eyes to roam and his mind to wander. This booth was Franklin's usual evening position. He'd been occupying this same seat, bent over his keyboard with a hot cup of coffee, three to four times a week for years. Over that time, he'd memorized every detail of the shop, gotten to know the name and order of every regular and even a few irregulars. This shop had become a place of familiarity and of comfort, a safe haven. This was where he came when he needed to unwind, to retreat from society. More importantly, though, at least in the eyes of the public, he had completed Helios Rising in this exact seat. His first book, a loosely autobiographical work penned under a pseudonym for his protection, had begun as a coping mechanism suggested by a psychiatrist, then became a pleasant hobby, and finally morphed into something more when the therapist read a few pages and was impressed enough to show a literary agent friend. Helios Rising had not gone so mainstream that tourists made the pilgrimage to see the famous corner chair in this tucked-away cafe, but once in a while, the occasional fan would wander in and want to meet the great Franklin Holt, or rather Gus Marley, as he was known in the publishing world. Helios Rising had shocked everyone by peaking at number six on nationwide bestseller lists only a couple months ago, and Franklin's publisher was already hounding him to hurry on a sequel. Franklin told him he'd consider it, but the truth was he'd already been thinking about the possibility. He wasn't ready to leave his characters behind. They'd become like family members, and abandoning them seemed impossible. His laptop finished booting down, and the screen went black, so Franklin snapped it closed, loaded the device into his bag, slung it over his shoulder, and headed for the exit. He paused to say goodbye to the young barista he'd gotten to know, and to drop a small tip in the jar. She studied at the local college and could use the extra couple dollars. He stepped outside and took a deep breath. The air weighed heavy and damp in his lungs. A faint mist still hung around after the storms that afternoon. It wasn't yet dusk, but you wouldn't know it from the lack of sunlight. A gloomy pall enveloped the city, making Franklin's dreary week just a bit drearier. Franklin turned left and headed for the metro station, a block and a half from the cafe. His limp always felt more pronounced in cold or wet weather. He presumed it had something to do with the change in air pressure affecting his old injury. He trudged along the sidewalk, his walk heavy, but his eyes vigilantly eyeing each passerby from head to toe. A habit from his old life, he took notice of everyone and everything around him. Crowds unnerved him. Too much could go wrong. Too much unseen. But, as was common, everyone around him was immersed in their own lives. Heads down, earbuds in, eyes locked on their phones. They were oblivious to him and to everyone else. The logical result of the self-actualization hogwash peddled nowadays, or so his father claimed, by pursuing self-fulfillment and do what makes you happy, people retreat into an egocentric cell where they become too wrapped up in their own neuroses and pleasures to notice or care about anyone else. It probably wasn't good for society, but for Franklin, it suited him just fine. No one noticed him and he preferred it that way. He paused as he passed Julius Caesar, eyeing the half-dozen patrons receiving haircuts, dyes, and perms. Valentine's Day was fast approaching, and everyone wanted to look their best for their loved ones. He felt lucky not to have to deal with that. Not anymore, anyway. His own image, reflected in the plate-glass windows of the shop, 
caught his attention for a moment, and he flinched. A man he hardly recognized stared back through sunken eyes, slate gray like gunmetal, dark and striking. Close-cropped brown hair, receding too fast for a man in his early thirties, and a scraggly beard he'd been neglecting to shave, framed an oblong face. There was no joy in his features anymore. Franklin raised a hand and caressed his cheekbone, just below his right eye. The scar tissue there was still raised, and probably always would be, the skin a lighter color, tracing across his cheekbone all the way to his ear. It made him look hard, scary even, especially the children. Seems right. If they knew the things I've done, fear would be the appropriate response. His pseudonym might be mildly famous, beloved by a moderate-sized cadre of fans for his writing, but it was no wonder that he was alone. His fingertips rose and fell as he grazed the scar. At one time, that sensation would have sent shudders down his spine, but now he just sighed. His gaze moved downward, eyeing the shirt hanging loosely on his thin frame. It was dangerously worn in places, holes waiting to open. Franklin turned to the street, but something else in the reflection caught his eye. Across the street, a man, a man who shouldn't be there. He spun around to get a more direct look, but there was no one there. His eyes flicked back and forth, scanning the people walking past, but he didn't recognize anyone. It couldn't be. Not after all this time. His mind must be playing tricks on him. A chill coalesced in the pit of his stomach. Probably just the weather. I hope. Franklin shook his head to clear those thoughts, then picked up his pace, and a couple minutes later he boarded an escalator and descended below ground. After a short wait, he boarded a metro car bound for outside the district. Franklin arrived home 45 minutes later. His fourth floor apartment wasn't much to brag about, but he didn't need much, didn't want much. He wedged the key into the lock, and after a jiggle, he managed to pop the mechanism and the door swung inward. He entered and closed the door behind him, shutting off the outside world with a satisfying thunk as the deadbolt clicked into place. Silence, he sighed. Hello, Frankie. Franklin jumped, swiveling to the source. Silas, so that was you on the street outside the coffee shop. His voice trembled, but he steadied it as he eyed his visitor, who nodded from his seat in Franklin's favorite armchair. The man was tall and lanky, broad across the shoulders, and rougher looking than he remembered. The last couple years had not been kind to him. Three days worth of unshaven stubble didn't help the impression that the man was unkempt, but Franklin knew better. Silas Sherman was efficient and deadly. You know, I always expected the apartment of Franklin Holt to have more of a homey feel, but there's no curtains, minimal furniture, not a single family photo out anywhere I can see. Not even one of that sweet nephew of yours. You need to get out of here, Franklin demanded. His voice was soft, but even at low volume, the threat was evident, hanging over the room like a cloud. Silas smirked, unimpressed by the threat. It's been a long time, Frankie. It should have been longer, Franklin hissed. He didn't try to hide the bitterness in his response. And don't call me that. Silas sighed and cocked an eyebrow. I think you'll be glad I stopped by when you hear what I have to share. How did you get in here? Even as he asked, Franklin knew the answer. The fire escape ran right outside his living room. It would have been easy to jimmy a window lock. Child's play for Silas. You've gotten sloppy. What happened to the Frankie who would have never been content with standard-issue apartment locks? That's not my life anymore. You know that. Suppose not. 
but there's still plenty of people out there who wouldn't mind if you wound up dead. You never escape it completely. Even if they wanted to hunt me down, and I'm not sure anyone cares anymore, I doubt they could find me. I found you. Did you think your pen name would keep you hidden? Gus Marley isn't such an airtight alter ego. Half the Brotherhood knows. The air quote stung. That wasn't what I meant, he interjected, but Silas kept talking over him. Plus, you'd be surprised. Who might care? That caught Franklin's attention. What do you mean? Do you remember the Tankov twins? He asked. Lev and Zach? Sure. Franklin cocked an eyebrow. I, I mean, I'm familiar with their work. They ran with the Romanovs. I met their older brother Andre once before he was killed by that arms dealer. Never had the pleasure of meeting the duo, though. Well, I'm afraid you never will. Not anymore. They're dead? To be honest, Franklin wasn't surprised. The whole Tankov family had a reputation for not being well-liked, even by each other. Silas nodded. And they aren't the only ones. They found Bobby Eckel a few weeks back. Stabbed. Keith Gansky shot. Omar and his brother Donald. Not Donnie, Franklin blurted. His jaw dropped. Oh, right. I forgot you two were close. Silas intoned without a hint of caring in his voice. It tutored the poor kid in geometry as a favor to Omar. Franklin groaned. He'd never have graduated high school without my help. A lot of good that diploma did him, Silas nodded. And two days ago, Abdullah was found. He was the worst. Decapitated. Franklin cringed. You think someone's offing the old guard like a vigilante? Maybe. He shrugged. And you think they're after me? Why? Because they already took a shot at me and missed. Silas fingered a frayed hole in his jacket collar before frowning. Whatever they're after, it appears they're tying up loose ends. And you're one. Plus, there's more. Franklin felt a growing pit in his stomach. Silas picked up a glass from the table. Franklin hadn't noticed his visitor had poured himself a drink and took a sip before continuing. Have you heard from Ham recently? Now it was Franklin's turn to frown. That wasn't a name he expected. Ham? Lauren Hamlin? From our crew? You know more than one? Silas cocked an eyebrow. There aren't many people named for a non-kosher deli meat. Franklin rolled his eyes. Lauren Hamlin is a part of my past. One I left behind, where you should be too. Silas's eyes narrowed. So I take it that means you haven't heard from him? No, I haven't. Why? He's missing, Silas answered matter-of-factly. Since last Thursday. Good. Hamlin missing wouldn't cause Franklin to shed any tears. That's cold, Franklin. How do you even know? Were you still in touch? You'll just have to trust me. I still have certain connections. Trust you? How, how do I know I can? You don't know. Silas smiled as though he thought it was a joke. He was toying with Franklin. That's the nature of these relationships, remember? We both know that isn't possible, Silas. Not for people like us. Besides, that isn't trust. Franklin limped over to the counter and tossed his leather bag up on it. What you're asking for is blind faith. Then have faith. I never pegged you as a faith guy, but whatever works for you. He crossed his legs and leaned back. Franklin glared. He had no intention of giving Silas either faith or trust. So Ham's in trouble. Again, I fail to see why this is my problem. I want you to help me find him. You can't possibly be serious, Franklin sputtered, incredulous. 
as soon as you're out of here, I'm going to pop open some wine and toast in celebration. Why do I want him found? You've gotten callous, Franklin. He was your friend once. Silas stared, unblinking. It was making Franklin uneasy. We all were. Silas, I was a runner for him, a getaway driver. We weren't friends. He was my boss, and frankly, a bad boss at that. And that's not counting the time he gave me this. He pointed to the scar on his face. Franklin, you and I weren't exactly friends either. I chauffeured you away from crime scenes a few times. You're selling yourself short, friend. You were much more than a runner. A thief, a dealer, a darn frying grifter too, if I do say so myself. He paused and sighed heavily. Plus, it's for your own good too. You're not safe. Franklin glared. And how exactly does finding Ham keep me safe? Fine. If the friend appeal won't work, then let's do this the selfish way. Silas ignored the question, uncrossed his legs, stood, and took a couple steps toward Franklin, who instinctively backed towards the door. If someone really is after people like us, how long do you think it'll be before you have another visitor waiting for you in your apartment one night? One less friendly than me. Franklin took another step back and bumped into the door. Silas advanced, slowly. You and I, together, we can... Franklin had heard enough. In a flash, he yanked open the end table drawer near the door and grabbed his old gun, leveling it at Silas. You need to leave, now. It had been a while since he held a weapon, much less aimed one at another person, and it trembled in his palm. All the muscles in his body tensed in stress, which sent a new bolt of pain through his knee, and he winced. Silas raised his hands in mock surrender before slowly sliding one hand into his pocket and pulling out a playing card. Jack of spades. He held it up to show Franklin before setting it on the table. You'll change your mind soon enough, old friend. I've written down a number where you can reach me when you do. With that, he turned and headed for the window and the fire escape. He paused after opening it and glanced back. Oh, and Franklin? Franklin glowered, still keeping his gun trained on the man crawling out his window. The pain in his knee throbbed, but he ignored it and held the weapon as steady as he could. Point that thing at me again, and I'll shoot you with it. I promise you that. Then he winked before stepping outside and vanishing down the fire escape. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening today. This was the first chapter of Splintered State by me, J. Robert Kinney. If you are interested in continuing the story and hearing more about how it all goes down for Franklin and Silas and several other characters as well, you can always check out my book on Amazon. It's available in both paperback and Kindle right now. So please go check that out. Uh, and I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is Justin Kinney, and I'm out in three, two, one. Yeah.